the Sword and Trowel podcast, which is a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. This is Tom Askell. This is Jared Longshore. And we welcome you to this edition of the Sword and Trowel. Well, Jared, hey, today... Hey, well, no, what? listen. It's <laughs> the Sword and the Trowel, Tom. Nobody says it like that. The it's the Sword and Trowel. Trowel. The no, Sword no, and no. Trowel. No, look, I think it's... Even Spurgeon had the look, Sword and the Trowel. It's... it's look, I, I'm so old, I can't you know afford no to waste you. words. Spurgeon I, argument, <laughs> Oh, I can't, man, I brought the Prince of Preachers I can't, up in I can't waste words, okay? I don't buy green bananas anymore, so I'm certainly not going to be spending, <laughs> speaking more words than I need to. <laughs> Sword and Trial podcast. You didn't. Now you didn't even put the first of the on it. <laughs> That's right. I decided I didn't need it. What are we talking about today? We're talking about the gospel. This is Article 6 on the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. We've been working our way through that, just kind of talking through each one of these articles uh, in that statement. And this is the sixth article, which is itself on the Gospel, which is the heart of this statement. It is the rationale uh, for the statement itself. So why don't I read the affirmation and let's talk about it. Okay. We affirm that the gospel is the divinely revealed message concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, especially his virgin birth, righteous life, substitutionary sacrifice, atoning death, and bodily resurrection, revealing who he is and what he has done with the promise that he will save anyone and everyone who turns from sin by trusting him as Lord. So, the gospel. What else would you say about the gospel that would need to be affirmed? Mm, I like it. I know there's been some uh, some little pushback from our Kuyperian brothers about this (laughs) reductionistic, baptistic kind of thing going on here. But, you know, we just say, sure, bring it on. Divinely revealed message. Gospel good news. It is good news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ as Romans 1 says, right? Yeah, and I, you know, we could just say that uh, Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to the 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, though some had died. And then he finally appeared to James and <laughs> then the apostles, and last of all, to Paul himself. You're such a biblicist. I know. I know. That's my problem, isn't it? <laughs> oh, this is uh, important, Tom, because the gospel is always in danger of being undermined, of being um, assumed. That's language yeah. that we use and talk about a lot. So we think of um, preachers that open up the word and perhaps preach the words that are there in front of them, but do not show how Christ uh, fulfills this word and how the whole book testifies to him that even in preaching ministry, the gospel is not proclaimed. It can, it can easily be lost. Would you say that? Absolutely. And we have seen that happen throughout church history. So I think it's naive for us to believe that it couldn't happen to us. 
And this was brought home to me personally. Um, I don't remember how many years ago now, maybe 27, eight years ago, 30 years ago or so. Uh, I was already pastoring here in Cape Coral at Grace Baptist Church and just went through a dry season in my life and ministry. Couldn't figure it out. And I was reading Whitfield's sermons one day, his sermon on 1 Corinthians, a series of sermons on 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. And it it just was used by God to awaken me to realize I had assumed the gospel in my sermons. And I began to go back and look at my notes. And man, I was trying to be grammatically, syntactically careful. I was trying to be contextually sensitive and make sure, you know, I wasn't making mistakes on uh, those theological points that came to bear, but I was assuming Christ. I wasn't seeing that any one passage in its whole context with the whole Bible, which is about Jesus Christ. So God chastened me and and showed me there that you you can be a a confessional, orthodox, in my case, five-point Calvinist Christian and not preach Christ. You You can preach God and not preach Christ. And so... That chastening has served me well. I'm not saying I've never been, uh, I've, I've always been guiltless since then, but uh, it's at least reminded me that this is something I cannot take for granted. So every time I'm teaching the gospel or teaching the Bible, I want to make sure that I'm not just assuming uh, where Christ fits in, where the gospel fits into any one passage of scripture. So, yeah. We lose the gospel. Conservative evangelicals tend to lose the gospel by assuming it, not by outright denying it. So we want to be clear on what the gospel is and what it's not. seems the assumption comes um, just by different emphases, you know, like somebody doesn't wake up one day and say, hey, you know, I'm not going to preach the gospel or I'm not going to remember the gospel but it begins to fade away slowly. And some of that could be a concern in the phrase, this is a gospel issue that Mm -hmm. is common today. And it seems to be a murky situation when I try to think about what we say when people say, hey, this particular thing is a gospel issue. This particular thing is a gospel issue. Well, in the sense that uh, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Lord and Savior of sinners, uh, if you repent and believe in him, you will be saved, and then he will uh, sanctify you through and through so that your whole life will be transformed and you will become more and more obedient to the Word of God, and you will become more and more like Christ in the world, and therefore taking your garbage out on the right day of the week is a gospel issue because you've agreed that you do so in the society in which you live. Okay. If we're making those kinds of connections, then if that's what's meant by gospel issue, then I could agree. But it, it seems like there's some concern about how we talk about what is and what is not a gospel issue. What we mean by that. Absolutely. And sometimes I think uh, one of my frustrations is I've, I've heard people uh, do just what you said. I'm only talking about this is a gospel issue because this is how Christians are called to live. And I'm not saying that taking your garbage out is uh, a, a constitutive part of the gospel. It's not essential to the gospel. So if you don't take your gar- garbage out, I'm not saying that you're not believing the gospel. But then they'll turn around and say, look, man, that guy hadn't taken his garbage out. He doesn't take his garbage out on the right day of the week. He can't be a Christian. 
because this is a gospel issue. Well, that's deadly. That is deadly. And the failure to distinguish between what actually saves a person, what a person must do to be saved, what must he believe to be saved, versus how well and consistent he is in applying the gospel and living out, working out his salvation as he ought by faith in Christ. Those are that those kinds of distinctions must be made or else we're going to be all twisted up and we are going to ultimately lose the gospel. How would you uh, respond if somebody says, what does this affirmation here or how does this affirmation here relate to the language of the gospel of the kingdom that we see in Scripture? Well, yeah, obviously there's a lot to be said about the gospel of the kingdom, and it's not here. There's nothing here that is inconsistent or incompatible or contradictory to that. But we are following along with the doctrinal content of the gospel using 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 through 11 as our guide. So, I mean, that's very clear. Paul could be asked the same question if you only read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, you know, Paul, what about the kingdom? Don't you believe in the kingdom? Well, of course he does. Read him elsewhere to find out about that. And so it's not like the folks who put this together uh, don't believe in the kingdom of God. I think in the last podcast, I spoke some uh, about the way the uh, power of the gospel at work in people's lives heralds the kingdom mm-hmm. of God mm-hmm. that has come. So, I mean, that, all of that's absolutely true. What we're concerned about here is what is the content of the gospel. The gospel is a message. It's good news to be believed. And we want to make sure that we do not allow anything to undermine that message, either by assuming it, by adding on to it, as you said, making everything a gospel issue and doing so in imprecise ways so that people can begin to think, oh, well, taking out your garbage on Tuesdays is indeed you know, something you got to do if you're going to believe the gospel. If you don't do that, then you're not believing the gospel. Well, that's deadly, and we want to protect that. Yeah. When Jesus tells us to pray um, to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm sure the signers of this statement, we surely want to say yes and amen to the kingdom of God coming upon earth. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that Jesus Christ is advancing his kingdom and that uh, the knowledge of our Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's going to come about through preaching this gospel, this gospel defined here in this statement. So by proclaiming the divinely revealed message concerning Jesus of Nazareth, as as that is preached, um, that is the saving message that brings people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That saving message uh, is the one uh, through which the Spirit empowers the church to uh, go out into the world and to live justly. So, yeah, I think that's a, an important point to make in this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Well, we've so, got the denial as well. All right, let's do it. Okay, we deny that anything else, whether works to be performed or opinions to be held, can be added to the gospel without perverting it into another gospel. This also means that implications and applications of the gospel, such as the obligation to live justly in the world, though legitimate and important in their own right, are not definitional components of the gospel. 
So taking out your garbage on Tuesday is not a definitional component of the gospel. So what do we say to somebody who says, hey, um, you will know them by their fruit? Yeah, well, that's absolutely true. That doesn't mean that a person who sins in any way or a person who, uh, as our confession says, falls even into grievous sin or backsliding uh, cannot be a Christian. There are times when Christians can be uh, given over to such grievous sin or backsliding that they don't have any biblical reason to hope that they're Christians. But we know through the way God deals with backsliders and prodigals and brings them back that Christians can indeed do that. So there's a difference between assurance of salvation and salvation. Salvation is found only through Christ, believing the gospel, trusting Christ as Lord. And when a person does that, he will be different. But his difference will not be perfection. And there should be growth. There should be holiness. But we all uh, you know, we all make mistakes in many ways. We all are unprofitable servants at the end of every day, no matter how much we've done. And that should keep us humble in too quickly dismissing people who profess this gospel and who acknowledge that what God says is sin is sin and who do not justify their sin, but who nevertheless struggle uh, with their sin, not signing peace treaties with it, but struggling throughout their life uh, with fighting against sin. That's right. So you'll, you'll know them by their fruit, but it's not the uh, producing of the fruit that earns us the right standing with God and seeing that this is, the what goes on in the world i mentioned this in our past episodes when you think about the way many are thinking about social justice and i don't i'm not calling any particular groups of christians i'm just thinking about the way the world thinks about trying to live justly they turn um they turn uh, works and obedience to whatever law they've created into gospel into mm-hmm. the good news of salvation you can you can be saved by doing this by living according to these standards by mm-hmm. getting involved in this particular initiative and they this is the way that they feel justified and it is a temptation for us as believers to to drift and to kind of partner up with with that kind of thinking we need to see no it's a different gospel it's another gospel and though we want to see uh, Christians living justly in the world, no, we're not going to subvert this truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works of the law, and making sure that message is clear and upheld, articulated, preached to the world, um, and not compromised. Absolutely. If we don't do that, then, goodness, we might as well all just be Mormons and just live good moral lives because moralism will accomplish many of the same things that those in the world are clamoring for in the name of what ought to be goodness or justice or whatever uh, it is that, that is setting their agenda. But for the Christian, it's all done for the glory of God. It's all done in the power of the Spirit. It's all done in the name of Jesus Christ. And though many of the things that we would do on that basis can uh, 
exist hand in hand with things that our Mormon or moralistic neighbors would do. They are not the same thing. Yeah, I do think there's a number of folks that are muddled up on this. And if people go back and listen to our conversation about the law uh, in a previous episode, that could probably bring clarity. And when we talk about the gospel this way, we're in no way minimizing what God has called Christians to do, how he's called right. us to live in the world. We're just wanting to make sure there's a, a clear understanding of the law and the gospel. So. Yeah. If we fail to do that, then we'll look at a guy like Gandhi and we'll say, man, what a great Christian. And of course, can't do that. Tom, we want to talk about a book today. It's a book that you know a lot about because you wrote it. Uh, what's the name of it? Tom's book. <laughs> no, you've been involved. You've written all different kinds of things, but this one is called Traditional Theology and the SBC. Yes, Traditional Theology concerns- and the SBC. The traditional statement. Just tell us, give us kind of the background of this book and what you try to do in it. Yeah, well, I think it was a little over five years ago or so. The uh, the statement on traditional theology in the Southern Baptist Convention, or trying to address soteriology specifically, was issued by I don't know how many people, several folks. Um, I knew some of them that were involved in the writing of it and setting it out, and and it was a, a serious statement. It was a statement by its own admission that came out in response to uh, concerns with what uh, the authors saw going on in this new Calvinism movement. And so because Calvinism had become increasingly visible, more and more people were identifying as Calvinists within the the SBC. Uh, The framers of this document determined that it would be right and proper for them to issue a statement that was not Calvinistic, showing how they understand salvation. And the language that they chose was tradition, traditional Southern Baptist theology. And by that, they they don't mean this is what Southern Baptists believed at the beginning, which is pretty clearly demonstrably uh, false, but what uh, most of them grew up with and what's been believed by many Southern Baptists since maybe the middle of the 20th century or so. So, you know, I kind of chat them a little bit for using the language of traditional, but they were just grasping for something other than non-Calvinism. So because it was a serious uh, document, I thought it deserved a serious response. So I wrote a series of essays uh, dealing with each one of the articles uh, of that document and then uh, revised it and put it in this little book that came out earlier this year. So would you say people that want to have a better understanding even of what is um, taught in the traditional statement, could they grab your book and get light on that? Well, I hope so. Uh, I mean, I really did try to deal honestly with them. These these are brothers. These are my friends and many of them. And um, so I'm not trying to just do a, a hatchet job. I'm not trying to just engage in polemics, so it is polemical. I'm trying honestly to take them on their own terms, understand what they're saying, 
and then engage it. And obviously, I disagree with them. And I disagree with them seriously at some points. I think there's some serious concerns that their statement raises. And I try to, uh, I try to address those. And I ask questions I hope will be uh, taken seriously and, and engaged in. But I see this as a fraternal debate. And I would hope that someone, I, I include their whole statement in my book. So, yeah, they will get the whole statement but they will get my critique of it. Obviously, that's the point of my book. It's not a, a terribly big book, but it is packed full of uh, detailed exposition of Scripture and um, clear theological argumentation. And you can get the book where? Uh, you can get that at Founders Ministries in our bookstore. Founders Ministries. So online, that would be founders.org. Go to the That's store, right. and it's available for purchase right there. That's right. We are working our way through the Ten Commandments, and today we come to the seventh commandment. Do you have that one before you, Tom? Can you read us the seventh commandment from Exodus 20? The seventh commandment. Well, let me see if I can remember. Uh, it is thou shalt not commit adultery. Did I get it right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's, That's the King right. James version. Hope you don't mind me using the King James. Nothing wrong with the KJV. KJV's welcome here. All right. Good. Welcome here. What's involved in the seventh commandment, Tom? Well, again, just like all the other commandments, it is not simply, hey, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. I mean, that certainly is true, but it goes to the heart. And Jesus makes this abundantly clear in the Sermon on the Mount whenever he says, you know, it's not just uh, you shall not commit adultery. You've heard that said, but it's also uh, whoever he says, whoever has had uh, lustful thoughts uh, toward a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And mm -hmm. so he's talking about heart adultery. What he's telling us is that, that this commandment has to be kept from the heart, not just externally. So purity is what's being called for here. Chastity is what's being called for. A recognition that our attitudes and demeanor, our desires uh, are all to be governed by God's will. So, so it's a it's a call to be people who look upon fellow image bearers with respect, acknowledging their dignity, respecting marriages, both our own, if you're married, and the marriages of others, and respecting other people, not, not just thinking of people as sex objects and not thinking of sex as merely something that exists for your own pleasure. Yep. Um, we look around us in American culture today, and we can see that we are entirely off the rails when it comes mm. to the seventh commandment. The If a man is going to um, obey this commandment, if he's going to walk in holiness and not be given to uh, sexual perversion or sexual morality, he is going to have to be extremely diligent, uh, fighting sin, seeking the grace of God, taking measures. Uh, it is an all-out assault in our sexually perverted culture. I've been preaching through the Proverbs recently, 
at our church and I'm struck again and again by um, how easily men can fall into sexual immorality. Not only men, of course, but you see that just playing its way through the Proverbs. And then you look at our world and you go, this is just crazy. I know the Westminster Catechism draws out certain expositions of this commandment. They talk about the undue delay of marriage, even that reality that we see at work in our culture. Marriage is being greatly delayed compared to 30, 40, 50 years ago. And that's a sign that this sexual corruption uh, is at work. It used to be that if a man was going to be sexually active, then uh, he knew there was a sense in the broader society that that man needs to get married that promoted uh, diligent work and being in a position to provide for a wife. But now that sex outside of marriage is so common, well, that that uh, marriage is being greatly delayed. Uh, we talk about modest apparel that also comes mm-hmm. up in the um, Westminster Catechism and uh, have conversations with my wife regularly and get insight from her about just, just how hard you have to work in this society to find modest apparel. It's going to cost you more money. It's going to cost you being out of fashion and you try to still, you know, wear things that are appealing, that are beautiful, but you're going to have to really fight because we are just so far gone. So yeah. I think we just need eyes wide open uh, concerning the day and age in which we live. I tell you, we th- this is a, an area where we've just fallen down a slippery slope without really recognizing how far we've gone. I remember when we still had uh, teenagers in our home, and I've got five daughters, one son. And so we had, I think it was three teenage daughters at the time. Donna and I were in Minneapolis at the Mall of America. And it's the largest mall, I think, in the world, or certainly the largest mall I've ever seen and I ever hope to see. And we were walking (laughs) uh, on one of the upper levels. And she said, come here, I want to show you something. We went into this. It was a store that was just for teenage girls. I mean, that's clothing for teenage girls. I didn't even know such stores existed, but nevertheless, went in. And it was appalling. I mean, just looking at the mannequins and what they had the mannequins dressed in was embarrassing. And she said, I wanted to show you, see see the challenges that uh, we face in trying to help our teenage daughters dress modestly. So this is the whole fashion. This is the way it's gone. So, yeah, that's huge. And, and you think about our entertainment today, the songs that are popular, the TV shows, the movies and we have, I think if we could resurrect a Puritan for maybe a week <laughs> and just let them shadow us, mm. you know, mm. they would be appalled at this because we have, we have just gradually slid down this slope of not thinking seriously about what this seventh commandment entails. And there's, this is so dangerous too, because, you know, you start ranting like you and me, you're going right now and you can just I can hear voices being like, oh, my goodness, you know, just fighting fundamentalist. And, you know, they're so concerned about sin in the world and you'd be concerned about sin in their own hearts. You got your own problems. And by no means are we am I, are we saying, am I saying that I don't have plenty of perversion in my own flesh it needs to be rooted out. That's right. the case. But we can't play that game right now. That That's another tactic of the enemy. No, you need to be wide, eyes wide open 
to the, I mean, our culture is insane. We have <laughs> lost our minds when it comes to sexual sin. Obergefell is a clear example of that. Here you go, right? I mean, you've got, you've got these folks sending these perverted cakes to this cake baker out in Colorado, telling him to to cake all, make all these cakes that are blue on the inside and then and then pink on the outside and they're celebrating the different birthdays I had from when I transitioned from being a boy to being a girl. I mean just this is absolutely nuts. So we do need to be aware of what's going on around us so that we're not conformed to the world but rather transformed by the renewal of our minds. It's easy to think, you know, hey, well I'm I'm better on this front than my next door neighbor but when your next door neighbor is as far afield as they are presently in our society we we just really need to be aware of it yeah yeah and you know the the critics that you described there at the beginning uh i, I think they might also criticize someone who says if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out throw it away it's better mm-hmm. to use one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell i don't think we take seriously enough what our Lord Jesus teaches in his elaboration of this seventh commandment. If we did, then the church would look far different than the world does on this issue. And yet I think, I fear that too often we don't look that distinct. Yeah. I think of the number of new Testament commands concerning uh, modest apparel and how people are clothed and responsibilities of husbands and fathers and homes and so much of that along the lines of sexuality been perverted even so that the roles of manhood biblical manhood biblical womanhood what does it mean to be a parent all of that is tied into this as well where we really need a a recovery of what the word of god says about these things so that husbands can lead and teach and, and be honest and parents together can uh, train up their kids and warn their sons of what they're going to experience. You know, I mean, I have smaller children, but I've already had to be very clear to my son about just what he sees in the street, just telling mm-hmm. him, quoting Proverbs to him about um, about the seductress and those who go to her house go down to Sheol. They go down to hell. And mm-hmm. so, boy, I mean, this is a, this is a time where there's no, there's no, the call is not to go hide in your house and pull down the blinds. We know that there's enough sin inside the home when we do that. Um, but it is to be aware of what's going on and uh, being unashamed of what the word of God says. Again, flipping this commandment, seeing the, seeing the, the upside of this commandment, don't commit adultery, but love your wife, be faithful to your wife and mm-hmm. wives, be faithful to your husband Song of Solomon, full of this. The Proverbs are full of this. About delighting in your wife. This is a going to be key. Is upholding marriage, seeing the marriage bed held in honor, as Christians seek to be faithful to the seventh commandment in our day. Amen. I agree. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, 
You can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org. Thank you.